So good morning, good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for joining us today. I am BK. I'm the director of the Pennsylvania Park Maintenance Institute. And spring has sprung, at least in most parts of the country. And it's time for our plants to wake up. So in this edition of Shop Talk, we've invited Jeff Fowler back to talk about spring sport field maintenance. Jeff will also discuss what should be done throughout the summer to ensure our playing surface maintains safety and are ready for fall sports as well. So our learning objectives for today are to learn about spring field preparation techniques. We're gonna learn about agronomic practices for fall sport fields and review field care processes throughout the spring season into the summer. So Jeff is the senior extension educator of the horticultural, specializing in turf management for Penn State Extension. He's been working for Penn State since 1988. He earned his bachelor's of science from Delaware Val College, and he has his master's degree from Penn State University. In 2006, Jeff was honored by the Sports Turf Managers Association, or STMA, with the Dr. William H. Daniel Founders Award for his excellence and dedication to research and teaching. And in 2019, he was presented with the Harry C. Gill Memorial Award, which is the highest honor the association presents for his commitment and dedication to STMA. Additionally, in 2019, Jeff was presented with the Fowler's Founders Award from the Keystone Athletic Field Managers Association, or CAFMO, here in Pennsylvania, in recognition of his unselfish commitment to excellence in education, athletic field management, and professionalism for Pennsylvania sports turf industry. Without further ado, I'm going to hand it off to Jeff. Thanks, BK. Um... That's more of an introduction than I've received in the last um, 31 years. Um, and you don't have to believe anything he just said um, because most of it's not true. What I learned in 2019 is if you kick cancer's butt, they give you a trophy. Um, I, I was actually given the Fowler Founders and the STMA Harry Gill Award um, but the biggest news of 2018 into 2019 was when my oncologist told me I was clean. So um, they didn't actually give me something to show people um, other than this right here in front of you. So um, that's about as good as it gets. And I apologize for the, the quality of that trophy. It just, um, <laughs> it's the way it works. So um, since we have such a small, intimate group today, um, what I'm going to suggest is if, if you have questions, to, to fire them at me um, throughout the day um, I, or type them into the chat pod, but um, let's not wait till the end. Just throw them at me as things come up in my presentation or in my slides. Um, and I would, I would love... Um, because we don't do this enough, in my opinion, I would love for you to turn on your cameras and and unmute yourself and and talk to me like we're standing across the room from each other. Thank you, Lynn. Um, <laughs> you you win that prize. Um, um, but um, we we um, over the last 365 days, I think we've lost a lot of connections um, because we don't we don't see people's faces anymore. Um, but 
Um, if you don't want to do that, that's fine. I know what some of you look like. And I, um, you know, like Judy, for example, should turn her camera on and BK should turn his off. Um, if you know what I'm saying. Thanks, um, <laughs> um, anyway, um, so BK asked me to talk about um, some, 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 some grass and some lawn care. So um, I, I have a little bit of a presentation here for you, but we can um, deviate into anything that you want to talk about. Um, and and my, my title for today is, um, doesn't grass just grow by itself? Um, and, and indeed, it does grow by itself, but it doesn't grow near as well as we can make it grow and near as well as we need it to is need as well as we need it to perform on our athletic fields when they're under under pressure and under constant use. Now, so this is a little bit different year than any of you have ever had um, because we did not get the wear and tear on our athletic fields last summer that we typically get over the course of the year. Right. I mean, how many of us actually had games on our fields last year at this time? Most of us were sitting at home um, with um, wondering if we were going to have jobs, um, you know, right. wondering if we were going to survive, whether we were going to get the, you know, whether we were going to get the, 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 the virus and have a ventilator. We didn't know. Right. None of us knew. But what did what we did what we did recognize is the fact that we didn't have near as much play on our fields as we typically do over the course of the spring and summer. So I said, and I challenged some people to get out there and do the things that they've always said that they want. Well, if we didn't have as much play, I would do this. Or if we didn't have those kids out there running on our fields, I would do this. And, and I, got, I, got, I got called to the principal's office, so to speak, um, from a couple of, uh, of, of good friends over in the Toledo area, they said, yeah, we, we would love to do that, Jeff, but our bosses, our managers are telling us not to do anything because we don't know how much money we're going to have. Um, we didn't know what our budgets looked like. So I was saying, get out there and do all the things that you've said you've wanted to do for years and years and years. And and they 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 called me to called me to called my bluff and said, hey, look, we we would love to, Jeff, but you know we don't know if we're going to be able to buy fertilizer and seed, whether we should aerate because we don't know if we're going to be here to do things or whether we're going to um, have to stay home and let our grass grow to three feet tall. Now, you know, fortunately, I guess many of us were were um, deemed essential workers after a long period of time where we could actually um, get out and mow and do some things like that because at, at, when the pandemic first started, we weren't sure um, whether we were gonna be considered essential workers. We had golf courses that were you know, afraid that they weren't gonna be able to mow grass. Um, and then we did finally declare them essential workers and they were at least able to do the basic management. So anyway, enough about what has happened to us over the course of the last year. Let's talk about what we should be doing looking forward into the next, into the next year. Um, so 
I don't know whether you guys know it or not, but there is a town, while I work for Penn State, um, there is a town in Pennsylvania by the name of Academia. Um, so everybody always said, you know, oh, this guy's just going to be from academia and it's just going to be that same old, same. Well, be assured that my presentation over the next hour will be just about two miles away from academia. It'll be based on, on the findings that we have, but, but it's not, it's not going to be your typical, um, college professor sitting and talking to you over the next hour. So, so let's start with, um, the, the most basic of all basics. And it's one that I always, always, always start with, and that is getting our soil's blood pressure taken. And that is a soil test. Um, and and I, if, if you take nothing else away from what I say today, please just take the value of a soil test and take it for, you know, don't take it for granted and, and go out and soil test and get your results and, and base your fertility program on the results of that soil test. We could be done right there. And if you learn that one thing today, I become a happy instructor because um, it is by far the most important thing we do over the course of the, 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 the life of our fields and, and over the life of our careers, really. Um, because if we don't, if we don't take a soil test, right, we're just throwing things at our grass that, that we don't even know whether the grass needs, right? So, so it's like taking us as a human and throwing us into a vat of liver and onions. Um, you know, if we, don't, if we don't like liver and onions, right, being around all that food um, doesn't do anything for us, as opposed to throwing us into... Um, a great big chocolate cake, right? Um, which we would all, I think most of us would probably like. Um, it may not be good for us, but we would like it. Um, but, but my point is we're, we're, we're not, we don't want to waste money, especially in the arena that, that you guys and ladies come from, and that's parks and recs where um, we're on very limited budgets, um, you know, as opposed to um, the Pirates or the Phillies or the Steelers or the Eagles or quite honestly, even Beaver Stadium at Penn State, um, where, where budgets aren't necessarily um, um, confined, right? We, if, you, if, if they need, if they need um, a pallet of, of, of grass seed for, for Heinz Field in Pittsburgh, that, that's a pretty cheap investment when you're paying athletes millions and millions of dollars. Most of us on this presentation today would kill for a pallet of grass seed, right? Um, they go through, you know, they go through six of them in, in, um, in Pittsburgh every, every year for the, in the Steelers, six pallets of seed every year on one two acre field, one field, six pallets. So anyway, um, so, so we don't want to waste our resources. So we want to take a soil test and make sure that we get the results back and we base our, our um, soil test or our, our plants needs based on the results of the soil test. And this is fuzzy and foggy because um, it is someone, it's, a, some, it's an actual soil test, but basically the results come back and it tells you the optimum pH and it tells you phosphorus and potassium needs. So you, you, and then 
below that, right in this area, it tells us how much lime to apply, how much nitrogen, how much phosphorus, and how much potassium that we need to put on, um, in this instance, per thousand square feet, because this was a home lawn, um, to, to bring our, our plants, um, we need to, that's to kind of fill the buffet table for, for the plants to eat at. Um, so picture it, if you will, as your favorite um, buffet. Um, it, with, without um, doing a soil test, it's like having all the nutrients. If the pH is off um, or something like that, it's like filling up something that nobody likes um, or they can't eat. So, um, <clears throat> and Is there then, an ideal time of year to do those soil tests? Um, the only day, you, the only time you shouldn't be doing soil tests is on Christmas Day because you should be spending that day with your family. Um, every other day that, that you, uh, any other day of the year that you can get a, a shovel or a soil probe into the, into the soil is a good day to soil test, okay? So, so then once we get the soil test back, then we need to pay attention to what it's telling us. And, and when we put the lime and fertilizer on that we need to apply to, to fill up that buffet for the, for the plants to utilize. And one of the questions that I always get about lime, and, and it's inevitable that I'll get this call, um, is what's the best kind of lime to use? Um, and, and quite honestly, the answer to that is um, whatever lime you can get your hands on um, at a reasonable cost, but there are some stipulations and it's, it's really about ground, granular or pelletized lime, right? And, and really it's a, it's a personal preference. Um, ground is the finest, which means it will react the quickest and change the pH the quickest. Granular is a little bit larger particle. It'll change the pH, but it's just gonna take a little longer for it to do that. And pelletized is the largest of the chunk of lime the easiest to spread, but it's made up of ground lime that's been pelletized, so it's easier to spread. And I'll, here's, a, here's a graph that I wanna show you, and that is some, some research that we did and a demonstration that we did. Um, the pH was five when we started, and it was over a 12-month period. And you can see this actually shifted down when it got put into PowerPoint this morning, um, and I apologize. The 20 to 30 mesh is the red line, the blue line is the 40 to 50 mesh, and the uh, green line is the 60 to 80 mesh line, okay? So that's the finest particle. You can see that the finest particle line, the green line, changed the pH over the same 12-month period. It changed it considerably more than did the larger particle red line, the 20 to 30 mesh, considerably more. Over the course of the same time, Okay, it changed the, 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 the 20 to 30 mesh lime, changed it from five to about 5.3. And over that same year, the 60 to 80 mesh lime changed it from five up to almost 6.4. Okay, so again, if we're going to make the investment, let's make, the, let's make a wise investment, right? Um, and, and, and do it in a lime that's gonna change the pH quickly. And the reason we want to change the lime to make to maximize it, our turf grasses, our cool season turf grasses, like a pH between six five and six eight. Okay, that's the window that that tur our our cool season grasses like to grow. Yeah, some of them will like a little bit lower. Some of them will do a little better if it's a little higher. But but for the most part, six five to six eight. 
And, and here's why they like 6.5 to 6.8. If you look at this chart, it's all the micro and macronutrients that a plant needs to grow, whether it's turf or whether it's um, spaghetti squash. Um, it, it is this, it's the same, the same chart, right? And that's the availability of these nutrients. So if you look between 6.5 and 7, Okay, you will look down across that chart and see that a majority of the macros, the N, P, and K, those are the macronutrients, are most readily available, as are the micronutrients other than iron. Iron prefers a little less pH, but um, nonetheless, the rest of them are at their maximum level of availability between 6.5 and 6.8. Okay, so it's not a... a it's not rocket science that, that, that we sit in front of you and say pH between 6.5 and 6.8. That's when the buffet table is fullest for those plants to grow. Okay, When the pH isn't right, so say the pH is 6. Okay, So if you look at the chart, you can see that the nutrients there. It, so it doesn't mean that the nutrients aren't available. Um, or, or, or aren't in the soil, it just means that they're not available for the plant to uptake. Okay, so they're there, but they're just, the plant can't utilize them. Okay, so that's where, the, the, that's when the, the, the buffet table, they put those little plastic lids on and, and protect the food that you can't get the fork or the, the tongs into, right? That's, that's what happens if the pH is too high or too low is basically the soil puts those little plastic lids on and we can't, the, the plant can't get to the food, okay? So if anybody ever tells you that nutrients aren't good for grass, remember this picture always. Okay, this is in a sulfur hot spring in Yellowstone National Park. Okay, you can see the only green grass, the only, this is, this is like a pH of like one over here. But a buffalo had gone through and done his business right here in the middle of this. And it's the only place that there is grass growing. Okay, so nutrients are good for grass and don't, ever, so if, you know, Meeting those soil test results um, is, is invaluable to us as, as turf managers. And, and don't be a knucklehead and be this person um, who, who knows that nutrients are good, but God only knows what they were doing um, when they were making an application. Um, I can't tell whether it's over-applicated or under-applicated. I believe it to be under or over-applicated in the in the brown areas um, that they doubled up or whatever they did, who knows? So, so don't be this person and, and make an application like this. If we're going to take the time um, and, and make an application of nutrients, um, we don't want to dump it all in one place. Um, and we sure don't want to do this to our yard. Make sure we do a nice, even application. So, so spring is also the time that we turn out the mowers, right? Um, it, it's inevitable that we're going to have to get the lawn mowers out um, once the, the soil temperatures start to increase because that stimulates the roots to go upward. So just a reminder that we never want to take more than a third of the green growth in one mowing. Okay, so for example, if our turf is three inches tall, Okay. We never want to mow it lower than two inches in one mowing. Okay, 
because it's not healthy for the grass. It, um, we know that the, the green growth is directly reflected by the root or the, the amount of green growth is directly correlated to the amount of root growth underneath the plant, almost, almost directly. So if, if our green growth is three inches tall, we know that our root mass is just about three inches deep. Okay. And vice versa, if we're at, um, at a half inch, like we are on a putting green on the golf course, we know that our root mass is only about a half inch deep. Okay. So never more than a third of the green growth in one, in one mowing. So you may be sitting there going, um, I, I can't do that. I, I can't mow only one third. I only mow once a week and, and I can't, I can't afford to mow more than that. <clears throat> I'm, I, I, I can get myself in trouble here, but I'm going to say it again anyway, and that is the single, the single biggest practice short of fertilizer that you can make or do to your fields or grass areas to improve the quality of them. The single practice is one additional mowing a week. Okay, research done at Michigan State, the single way to improve the quality of your grass is by mowing once a week, one, one time additional a week. So if you're mowing once, mow twice. If you're mowing twice, mow three times. Um, it, it improves the quality of grass because we're, 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 we're reducing the amount of that um, green vegetation that we're taking off during mowing. Um, and, and it's incredible that that, that that is a single practice. So so you may say, well, Jeff, I don't, I don't have the mowing equipment to do something like that. Well, then I will challenge you to look at your budgets and look at your equipment and, and start to move yourself towards that as a goal, right? So um, maybe it means getting some sort of a different mower that allows you to mow one additional time a week. Um, and, and I'll give you an example. Um, um, the school district that we just, my wife and I just moved from, um, inevitably every other year, um, they would buy four or five zero turn lawnmowers um, from a from a vendor. Now, um, I won't tell you what vendor it was because it doesn't matter. Um, but they would they would get four or five new zero turns, and they would they would pay students. $12 an hour to mow grass. And, and they would put them on these zero turn mowers and, and they couldn't stay ahead of it. I mean, they, it was a hundred acre campus, a um, hundred acres of grass and they, they couldn't stay ahead of it. Um, and, and finally, I said to the, to the, um, the maintenance, the head of maintenance, I said, you know, Tim, why don't you invest in a big, eight foot wide lawnmower um, and, 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 and mow this place right. He said, well, that's, that's a $60,000 mower. We can't afford that. I said, all right, let's, let's do the math on this minute, Tim. I'm not that bright. But if, if we're spending $10,000 on zero turn mowers every other year and we're buying four of them, we'll, do the, we'll just do four. That's $40,000 um, over the course of, of, of four years you could have paid for a more upscale mower that would mow higher quality and more width at one time 
And you'd have only had to have paid one kid 12 bucks an hour to mow as opposed to four. And, and all of a sudden, he, 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 the lights kind of came on as if to say, um, oh, I never thought about it that way. You know, well, it's a lawnmower. It's going to have to sit um, during the summer. So we need something that we can um, put a snow removal. Okay, well, buy a plow for on the front of it or a, a brush or a blower or something. Um, but, but be able to mow your grass one additional time a week will, will be the single thing that you can do to improve the quality of it. Uh, enough, enough of my preaching. So the other, the other thing that we, we should be doing in spring is airification of our fall sports fields. Okay. So, um, fields that are, are going to be under pressure, um, with football, with soccer, um, in the fall. And I know Parks and Recs is a little bit different because we have soccer all year round. We have baseball all year round, um, but we have to find that window that we can do airification. And, and quite honestly, um, we're going to make less people upset if we get this done now, as opposed to waiting to the middle of football season when they're, they're beating that up. Um, so getting out there and airifying, and, and this chart is not one that you need to write all this stuff down. Um, here's what it's all about. This chart reminds me to tell you that going over your field one time with a aerator or aerator that looks like this isn't even close to enough. Okay. We should be removing 35 three quarter inch holes annually per square foot. Again, I'm not real bright. I wasn't that good in math. Just had to ask my math teacher from high school and college. It almost, I actually am almost still a college student because of, of math. Um, but 35 three quarter inch holes a year, a, a year annually. That means that with this aerator or this aerator, Okay, we are going, this is, on, this is six inch centers. Okay, that means we're going to go over our fields a total of eight times with that aerator in the course of a year to remove enough of the mass of the soil to relieve compaction. Okay, that, that does, going over it once with this aerator is like tickling it. Okay, we have to get serious with my. I, I always tell people that run aerators like this, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with this. This is what I use on our, our local little league fields and our local high school baseball field. This is the exact instrument that I use. There's nothing wrong with it. Good, heavy pulls, a good, solid core. But it, your goal when, with, when using this aerator should be for the coaches to be complaining to you because you looks like you rototilled the field. That, that's how much soil we're going to remove. Okay. 35 three-quarter inch holes a year. And to clarify, that's pulling plugs, not just using the tines, correct? Um, yeah. So this one is this one is pulling plugs. If you look behind it, um, it's it's pulling cores. Um, not not the solid time. Solid times are great to to for a good a good gas exchange to allow 
um, CO2 out of the soil and, and exchange it with O2 so the roots can grow. But that's 35 three quarter inch cores per year is what we need to get up and get out of there. Now, if we're using a hydraulically driven aerator, that, that's one pass. Okay, um, it, it, it's, it's, do, it's, it's taking enough cores because uh, it's probably on two inch centers or three inch centers as opposed to six inches on square. Okay, so we talked about um, the, the root growth and shoot growth over the course of the year and over the, the mowing height. Um, this is just a picture that shows the, 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 the correlation between the green growth and the root growth. Um, and you can see this is, this is um, late winter and then it moves into early spring. Our roots during the cool, you know, this time of the year, um, you know, we've got good deep roots. Our goal as turf managers is to have this out here where, where we, we typically don't get that kind of root growth. And we do that by aerating, by irrigation with water, with, with fertilizer and lime and stimulating roots to go downward um, and, and keep, them, um, keep them down deep. Okay, the other thing that we need to talk about in the spring, if we haven't, if you haven't already, your coaches are probably absolutely driving you nuts, wanting to get on baseball fields or softball fields if they're not already on. Um, this has been a great spring. Um, spring has been dry, um, at least in my part of the world. Spring has been dry. Spring came early. Warm temperatures came early. Um, we're, we're, we're pushing buds. I'm looking out the window at the maple tree in my front yard. We're, we're pushing red buds on, on maple trees. Um, we're about a week and a half early compared to normal, okay? Which means also our annual grasses are going to be about a week early. Um, so goosegrass, um, um, crabgrass, those annual grasses are going to start germinating. Um, so we need to get those applications out as well. Now, we also need to get our, our plane surfaces taken care of. This is a softball field, um, believe it or not. Um, you can see the mound right here, um, which is scary to me that, that they let it get like this. But um, wintertime came and went. And you can see some jackass um, over here on the right-hand corner drove across the field and, and left tracks going out across the mud. You can see that the same person probably got stuck right here. Um, that's why we have fences, right? Even if it's just a piece of snow fence um, to put up and stop people from, from doing that. But um, we need to get them back into shape. Um, we even need to get rid of the low spots to stop the puddles from forming. Um, every field, every summer field day I go to, I always get asked, Jeff, can you can you show us how to get rid of um, get rid of or how to get rid of a puddle. Um, and and I, I, my reply always is, if you brought me here to do that, you brought me here for the entirely wrong reason, because I don't know how to get rid of a puddle. I know how to prevent puddles. Um, and preventing puddles is the way we need to look at this. And that is to keep our playing surfaces um, so that water sheds off the back of them. That may be include leveling or, and or rolling 
um, continually working the infield mixes, the, the, the skin surfaces, the dirt areas, if you will, continuing to work them so that water will flow off as opposed to flowing through. Water flows through most infield mixes at about a 0 0.0025 inches per hour rate. Okay, that's a really, really slow rate for, for water to soak through or to drain through an infield mix. What we need to rely on is the crowning and the grading for water to get off of the surface. So we get that area done and then we roll it tight. And that way when it rains, the water rolls off to the edges and gets into the turf areas as opposed to laying on the, the skin like this photo shows um, where, where the water is, is standing or where the water is standing. Okay. So then we can, we're going to spend a little time talking about the four different cool season grasses, um, bluegrass, ryegrass, fine fescue, and tall fescue. But I, I want to I take a break for just a split second and ask if there are any questions about what we just talked about before we get to the four cool season grasses. Again, folks can feel free to unmute themselves if they have any. There's nothing in the chat box currently, Jeff. All right. Well, then let's roll into the four primary cool season grasses. And, and I, I like to talk about these um, because I think many times we waste money um, buying cheap grass seed or inappropriate grass seed. Um, for the area that we want to plant it in and have it do well. I'll use as an example, um, the city park in the town that my office is in. For the, I've been working for Penn State for almost 33 years. So for the last, yeah, I started when I was five, I know. Um, for the last 32 years, they have been calling my office and wanting to know how to get grass to grow in the city park, okay? And the city park is very well used, and the city park is used for an event at the beginning of October every year that brings hundreds of thousands of people to the town. I'm not exaggerating, hundreds of thousands of people brought into the town to a craft show. And that craft show covers all city, every square inch of the city park. And inevitably on Thursday before that craft show starts, it rains. And they, they just, they beat this poor park up. Even if it doesn't rain, they, uh, you, you can imagine 100,000 people, their sidewalks, but they they put the they put the craft tents about two feet back from the from the from the sidewalk and I'm like why have a sidewalk if you're if you're going to put the, the two feet back and then that two foot strip right next to it just absolutely gets punished and they then the, the, the second week of October the city park manager calls me he's like Jeff we we can't get grass to grow in the park yeah well no kidding you haven't been able to get it to grow for 33 years why do you think it's going to be different this year. Um, 
but there are some things that they can do and I have tried to help them do and and they always tell me they don't have time and my my answer always is that's fine if you don't have time um, but then you're gonna have to live with the results of what you have right so anyway um, part of it is that they're using the wrong variety of grass they're going to the local um, hardware store and buying the cheapest grass they can buy okay and and with grass seed you get what you pay for um, if you're going to buy 99 cent a pound grass seed you're going to get 99 cent a pound grass bottom line um, so let's talk about these four different varieties of, of grass a little bit and and see what we if i can get my computer to work There we go, bluegrass. So bluegrass is the choice of, the grass of choice for most athletic fields. Okay, so if we had our druthers, um, we would have a 100% bluegrass football soccer field um, if we had our choices. And the reason it would be our choice is because of the way, it, the way bluegrass grows. If we put down one seed, if we took a two by two square foot of topsoil, and put it in the middle of, the, of my office here, okay? And we threw one seed into that two by two square and put water on it and planted it and had the right fertilizer. Eventually, that one seed would fill in that whole two by two area, okay? It grows by rhizomes and stolons. Rhizomes are above ground. I'm sorry, stolons are above ground, rhizomes are below ground. You can see this is one plant right here. Okay, and you can see it grows and then it's got a, a younger plant coming off of it here growing and then there's another younger one coming here and here comes another little one right up through here that's eventually going to make a plant. So one plant eventually will fill in a two by two square. Now, one it, to grow into that two by two area, we, we're going to wait for a while, but it eventually would do it. Okay, just by the nature of the way it grows. Okay. Bluegrass is one that um, spreads by rhizomes and we do need to periodically thatch. Most of these cool season grasses like to be mowed between two and two and a half inches and they, and they can take three to four pounds of nitrogen per thousand square feet per year, okay? Um, when it is hot and dry, bluegrass will go dormant, but um, it, again, spreads by rhizomes and that's the Little League, Little League World Series complex um, the field there is 100% bluegrass, um, and, and it, it, it grows into itself. Now, it has been updated since this picture was taken, um, but it continues to, to, to thrive under heavy use and heavy play. So if you will let me allow, allow me to go back here. If we had a, a football field that's 100% bluegrass, and we pop a divot right here, okay, right here, and we take that plan out, Right, these other plants are going to grow in there within a course of of time. Okay? Within a week or so, those other plants are going to fill in that other, and, and it's going to um, be a lot better than one um, that we we throw down one seed, one plant. But um, bluegrass is susceptible to rusted leaf spot, um, but they all have their drawbacks. Perennial ryegrass um, is not rhizominous. Um, it, it's not rhizominous by nature. So it, unlike bluegrass, right? If we take that two by two square, we throw it down, we throw down one seed, we're gonna get one plant, okay? Now, 
in the last 10 years, there have been some developments in making ryegrass rhizominous. Okay, so that's a that's a big word for basically saying for shooting for 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 spreading by rhizomes. Okay. I don't want to say that it doesn't happen. Ryegrass, rhizominous ryegrass does exist, but it does not exist to the extent that is the, the, the Kentucky bluegrass. Okay, we can throw down one seed and get one plant. The rhizominous, we may throw down one seed and we may get a clump, a little bit bigger clump than one seed. But if we throw down one seed of ryegrass in that two by two square, even if it's rhizominous, it's gonna take forever to fill in that two by two square. So I won't say that it doesn't exist, but 99% of the time, even when it is rhizominous ryegrass, it's not, it's not spreading like bluegrass is, okay? So perennial ryegrass is excellent for overseeding thinning turf or damaged turf, right? So soccer goal mouths, lacrosse goal mouths, or I'm sorry, lacrosse creases and, and, and between the hash marks of a football field on the sidelines of, um, of anything um, where, where we need quick, instant growth, okay? Perennial ryegrass, um, if the conditions are right, we throw down one seed and, and it has water and nutrients and soil, it'll be up in four days. Um, if it has a seven, win a seven day window, it will do extremely well. Um, with just seven days from the time you put it down to the time you expect it to perform. Bluegrass, on the other hand, um, we're looking at 21 days till it even breaks through its shell. Um, even if it's pre-germinated and soaked in water and all those things, it's still gonna take um, a few days for it to, to do its thing, but basically 21 days if you just throw it down. So we love ryegrass for those thinning, thinning damaged turf areas. It does not have the thatch layer that perennial ryegrass does, or I'm sorry, that bluegrass has. Perennial ryegrass grows um, more upright as opposed to the Kentucky bluegrass that spreads by rhizomes and kind of makes a thatch layer. So we have to go in to 100% Kentucky bluegrass and remove this thatch layer um, every other year or every third year. But we do have to be, we have to pay attention to that as opposed to the perennial ryegrass where our soil and, and growth point meet, okay? Um, it is um, gray leaf spot susceptible. Um, there are gray leaf spot resistant varieties of perennial ryegrass, um, but that is the one drawback to, to rye. But everything, like I said, has, it's a, has drawbacks to it. Fine fescue, um, let me just check time here. Yeah, um, so fine fescue, about the same thing. It grows very, very well in shaded areas, okay? Very well in shaded areas. So if you have a, an area that you're trying to get something to grow that's green in the shade, fine fescue is, needs to be your grass of choice, okay? What fine fescue does not tolerate is wear, okay? So if you are going to tell me that you have a shaded area, with a playground with swing sets and sliding boards and everything else, I'm going to recommend to you mulch <laughs> um, because we're, we're never gonna get grass to grow in a shaded area that takes a lot of wear and tear, okay? So just it's, 
it has its limitations. And that's exactly, we were talking about the, the park in the town that I was, that I, that my office is in, that was exactly their trouble was it, the whole park. It's beautiful. It's got oak trees, you know, that we can't even reach around maple trees, the size of, 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 um, you know, a, a, a car. Um, and it wouldn't let sunlight in to, to let the, the grass grow. But fine fescue will do really well in shaded areas. Um, it is a little bit um, um, thatchy, similar to bluegrass, um, just by the nature of the, the way it grows. It grows by rhizomes as well. So you can see here the three grasses we've talked about, bluegrass in the bottom right, fine fescue in the upper right. Um, you know, so they, they look very similar. Um, again, it does very well in shaded areas, but it doesn't do well in sun. This is a parking lot that was planted in fine fescue, and you can see it just isn't—it isn't performing the way the um, people thought it should perform. But it, again, wrong variety selection um, cost them money. Tall fescue um, grows very similar to perennial ryegrass in that you throw down one seed, one plant. Um, fine fescue, the one we just finished talking about. Um, has those rhizomes like bluegrass and it would eventually fill in that two by two square. Um, tall fescue has come a long way over the course of the last um, 10 years. And I'm gonna skip through here. Most of you have probably seen tall fescue. This is the old K31 variety that was actually developed at Penn State. Um, it was developed for a pasture grass. So it was intended to be thrown out for the cows to chew off um, and, and chew it down really low and, and, and really close to the surface um, and then grow back. And that's what it's good at. But, but it's terrible on an athletic field because it's ugly. If I look out my front window, I have it all over my yard. Um, and it's ugly as sin, but it tolerates wear really well. Okay, so, but, but again, here, here's my point, And that is that tall fescues have come a long way um, over the course of the last um, seven to 10 years. We have developed a lot of turf type tall fescues that do especially well. I, I'm to the point in my career where I, instead of overseeding with perennial ryegrass, I'm starting to tell people in your kind of situations, parks and recs where we don't have um, a small area that we're trying to you know, just one field that we're trying to maintain um, and we don't have irrigation. We, you know, we, we have limited um, capacity to, to mow extra times. I'm telling people to top or to overseed, excuse me, with, with um, tall fescue. The new turf type tall fescues. This is a 12 inch ruler over here on the right. Um, that's a, a full 12 inch ruler. And you can see the roots of tall fescue, how deep they are. So, so it will do a lot of things for us, right? It'll, it, it'll do well in a drought, a drought time, not only because the roots are so deep, it'll do well because it, it, can, it can find water. It has a lot more area to, to absorb nutrients and utilize nutrients. Um, tall fescue um, is really a, a sleeper when it comes to managing athletic fields and turf areas. Um, find a good reputable seed dealer um, that has turf type tall fescues um, and, and check them out. Um, you can look on NTEP, which is the National Turf Grass Evaluation Program, ntep.org or .gov, I forget, um, but just put in NTEP and, and do a, a search on it. 
and and you can look at all the different characteristics of the new varieties of of um, tall fescue, and I think you will be very very happy and excited with your choice to go with tall fescue. Here is the old K31 on the right and the new turf type tall fescues on the left. Okay, much more appealing um, than is the old K31. Um, I, my landlord, um, my wife and I just moved after 32 years in one place, we just moved. And our landlord, um, right before we bought the, or before we moved into the place, decided he would make it look really pretty. And he went out and bought the absolute cheapest grass seed he could buy. And he bought K31 and he put it in the backyard. And um, it, it is ungodly. Um, but if he would have spent another 25 cents a pound, he could have gotten something that looked a little bit nicer like the grass on the left. So um, pay attention to that. Um, the other cool season tolerable grass that, that I'll at least mention, and you probably have some of it somewhere on your facility, and that is zoysia grass. Um, the only trouble with zoysia grass is um, it grows by stolons, above ground, above ground roots, basically big stems. Um, but it, it is a really a warm season grass. So it, in, the, in the heat of the summer, the heat of the, the nice weather in the middle of summer, it's beautiful, lush and green. But this time of the year, it looks like, um, it looks like it's all dead and it will look that way until it starts to heat up, which will be much later in the year. And my final slide is if you can't make grass grow, I would just encourage you to plant tomatoes in the whole yard. Which is what this guy did. Um, he, he just gave up, I think, and he just planted tomatoes in the whole yard. So with that, um, BK, that's what I have for you or for the, for the, for the gang. Um, Minus all the questions that they are going to ask me because um, we still have a few minutes left. Well, thank you very much, Jeff. That was great. Uh, one thing that I remember from the most recent uh, STMA conference was people talking about blue muta, where they were taking combinations of the warm season grasses and overseeding with cooler season grasses. Have you seen? much of that trying to happen here in Pennsylvania, maybe down in the Southern parts or um, in other states surrounding the area? Yeah, so, so I'll tell you, um, the, the biggest challenge to blue muta, which is just a combination of bluegrass, it's a full stand of bluegrass and a full stand of Bermuda grass growing together in the same environment. Um, the biggest challenge we're going to have in Pennsylvania um, is how winter tolerant the Bermuda grass is. Um, so if you're in the Philadelphia over to Harrisburg, maybe up into Northampton, Lehigh County area in that Southeast corridor where it's a little bit warmer, um, I think that the Bermuda, the new varieties of Bermuda are going to be, um, are going to do well. Um, you get out into my corner of the world um, in, in Northwest Pennsylvania, um, we will put Bermuda grass to the test. Um, if it can tolerate our winter, 
um, it is it is a cold tolerant variety. Um, but we're, we're 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 doing research on it right now. Actually, Tanner Delval, my colleague um, in in Berks and Schuylkill counties, um, is doing his PhD work on blue muta, um, wanting to see how winter tolerant it is, um, how well it performs with wear and tear. Um, so he basically took um, Bermuda grass that was established and he interceded bluegrass. Um, he did that last fall. Um, so we're excited to see what it's going to do. Um, but that, I'll tell you where that has made a big hit um, is through the transition area out across from like St. Louis out to Kansas City, where it is hotter than snot and where it's cold as cold. Um, you know, where, the, where they can do that in, in two times. My son spent um, five years on the grounds crew for the Kansas City Royals, and, and they would literally tear up their infield every year about um, mid-June and put down Bermuda grass. So he would manage Bermuda on the infield and bluegrass in the outfield. Um, and then when the, when the temperature started to swing again, they would literally come in, tear up the Bermuda, and, and put bluegrass back down. So um, it, it's, it, it's that, that is the true transition zone. Um, and that's where those blue mutas and combinations are gonna do, um, really see a purpose. And I think we're gonna see a, a big benefit to them. Yeah, I was seeing a lot of the, the early research coming out of like Oklahoma State and some of the areas that are just north of Texas and things like that. So yeah, it must yeah, be the, that a transition the, the newest, zone, as you're saying. Yeah, the newest, the newest, the newest um, Bermuda grass that's out is Tahoma 31, and it is um, very cold tolerant. But but it came from Oklahoma State, so so I, I don't want to I don't want to poo poo it, um, but I will say that it was a grass developed at Oklahoma State, and they say it's cold tolerant. Um, is it cold tolerant for um, Erie County, Pennsylvania? Um, <laughs> you know, or, or Cleveland, Ohio. Um, we're, you know, so putting it out here, um, even down where I live in Butler County, um, you know, is going to put it to the test um, for how cold tolerant it really is. Folks, feel, feel free to please jump in. Otherwise, I'll keep pulling on Jeff's ear here. Um, but while we're waiting for some questions, how or what is the best way for folks to kind of do some outreach? You know, either they can reach out to you, but what are some other resources, maybe through Penn State Extension or other professional organizations out there that folks can look to for advice? Yeah, well, certainly um, PRPS has done a great job with the Institute um, of, of utilizing some, some, great, some great resources. Um, thanks, Judy. Um, CAFMO um, is, is certainly another organization um, that is sports specific. Okay, so it's sports turf specific. Um, and we do an annual conference for, with CAFMO. We do uh, an annual field day in, in, in a normal non-pandemic um, time. We do a summer field day. We do um, um, a, a, a conference. Um, we do outreach. We're, we're the 
um, sister chapter to the National STMA Association. Um, they have some great resources on their, their website. Um, the, the university that I work for, Penn State, has some wonderful resources. We're, we're by far the largest turf program in the entire country. We're graduating about 35 students per year um, in the four-year program. And um, other big universities like Ohio State, for example, they're graduating three, maybe um, in a good year, they're graduating three. So we, we are by far the largest and um, we turn out a lot of people. So um, we have some great resources as well. Um, you can you can reach out to me. Um, my email is um, jtf2 at psu.edu. Um, my colleague is Tanner Delval. And Tanner is um, on the eastern side of the state. And Tanner, um, oops, you give me just a second, BK. I can tell you what Tanner's is because we were going back and forth this morning, it's TLD. It's TCD, TCD 125 at psu.edu. Um, and Tanner, Tanner is um, my counterpart on the other side of the state, um, the Eastern side. Um, and we work very closely with the likes of um, the, the, the Dr. McNitz, the Dr. Landscoots that are all based at the university. Um, we, we talk to them on a regular basis. Uh, we do kind of the outreach for the, the long arm. We're the long arm of the College of Ag. Um, but I will say that um, just because you're on the Eastern side doesn't mean you can't call Jeff. And just because you're on the West side doesn't mean you can't get a hold of Tanner. Um, we interchange, we actually do a podcast together um, for turf managers. Um, and I would invite you to um, download that podcast. It's called Fresh Cut Grass um, is the name of the podcast. Um, and it's intended for, it's not a real highfalutin um, turf podcast like you, um, like you see and hear a lot of. Um, it's just like conversation like we just had. Um, at, at our level, um, and and we bring in special guests um, from the Pirates. And th this week, um, for example, we have um, um, Bobby Piccolo from Derry Township um, in Harrisburg area is going to be our guest. Um, so so if they're um, you know regular people and they're not um, professionals, turfgrass professionals certainly they are, but they're they're, they're not um, a professional field all the time. They're, they're, they're on the level that all of you and I are on. Um, so they're making the kind of decisions that you and I have to make every day. And, and we just did host another event last month uh, with CAFMO, actually, the CAFMO Conversations, which was a very similar format. It was more of a discussion and just kind of a chat, uh, but definitely with that um, professional feel, and we also invited George Toma, uh, who you know the jumping George. <laughs> so we heard quite a lot about the upcoming of how the industry has changed. Judy did have a really good question in there that we'll use as our 
finishing point here that uh, she did some soil tests a few months ago on one of her fields that needs lime. And the contractor basically said, ignore the test results. You know, why do you think a contractor would make that kind of advice? Because it was going to cost him money. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I don't, why would, that's like going to the doctor and, and, and the doctor putting you on an aspirin a day and you're not doing it. Um, it, it why did you even go to the doctor? Um, Judy, do you want to come off mute and maybe expand on your question? Judy, I, I'd like to talk to this person. Because if he specifically said to ignore um, the line, why why would you ignore it? Um, that makes no sense, um, no no sense whatsoever. Um, so so what you need to do is is take that chart that I showed him or that I showed you today that that when the pH is in the right optimum time, um, that 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 that's where the nutrients are most readily available. Um, so you may not have to put down fertilizer. Um, if you get your pH raised um, to an acceptable level, because then more nutrients are available. That's where we're taking um, my 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 um, analogy of the of the of the buffet is that's where we're going in and we're taking the the plastic lids off of the food. Um, if we raise the pH, we're allowing that that those nutrients to be utilized by the plant as opposed to keeping the lids on it. So it makes it makes no sense. Why would you? ignore um you know that 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 would i went to the doctor my family doctor yesterday and he 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 took my blood pressure and you know he said it was high um why would he ignore that right um he, he's going to do something about it well if your ph is low why why wouldn't you do something about it um so yeah, I, I guess it would it would matter what the ph was in the soil test to say yeah, whether or not I, you could ignore the lime. It, it, if, it, if it says it needs lime, it needs lime. Um, it, you know, why, 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 did he, why, why did he bother to waste the, the money to do a soil test um, if, he, if he wasn't going to pay attention to it, right? But, Judy, we can talk about that later because I'd like to get a hold of this contractor and, and ask him why. I mean, I could, I could run him to the... I could run him to the edge of, of getting ready to jump off the cliff because why would he soil test if he wasn't gonna if he wasn't gonna pay attention to the results? Well, thank you very much, Jeff. I really appreciate you taking the time to share your expertise with us. It's always uh, it's always enjoyable to have you chat with us because you can put it in uh, everyday terms as opposed to trying to make us feel dumb. <laughs> so i'd like to appreciate uh everyone else for taking the time to join us today uh please stay involved uh reach out to me my email is bk at prps.org and let us know what you think how we're doing and what advice do you need uh turf management is one issue along an entire spectrum of maintenance topics that uh everyone has. So if you have questions on infrastructure, if you have questions on other maintenance type needs or operation or even training of your staff, let us know, reach out, and we'll help you uh, find the answers that you need. So again, my name is BK, Director of the Pennsylvania Park Maintenance Institute. I want to thank Jeff Fowler for taking the time to join us today to 
educate us. And I look forward to hosting you all again in the near future. Thank you. Thank you.